listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You may be surprised to learn when we spend time in our industry, we're, we're, be, we're becoming more aware of sociological impacts to pharmacy care. And there was research done recently. The, the name of the journal article is Access to Community Pharmacies, a Nationwide Geographic Information Systems Cross-Sectional Analysis that digs into where are pharmacies located throughout the country, how close are they to the populations that they're serving, and how far away are people needing to travel in order to access pharmacy care. That in and of itself sounds pretty simplistic, but when you really dig down into the data, we quickly learn that this is causing major issues with adherence, for example, and adherence is a major issue. We, we lose 100,000 people a, a, a year, their lives to non-adherence. So this is part of um, understanding how important access to healthcare, healthcare systems, pharmacy care is and when you're seeing your, your primary care physician, you're receiving your treatment, and then you um, are now expected to follow up and, uh, and get your prescription filled and make sure that you're um, engaging your pharmacist with uh, questions, answers, dialogue for your health. Opens up our eyes that there, there are issues in place that are impacting um, our communities. And I'm excited to have uh, Dr. Lucas Baron Brock as um, as guest today, and he's one of the authors of of this journal article. We will have a link to the journal article in our show notes. Dr. Lucas, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I was immediately drawn to the research. I've heard a lot about um, health inequity, health um, issues, sociological impact issues and one of those is the geographics and where our pharmacies are throughout the country. So let's just lay the groundwork in, in understanding pharmacy accessibility being key to the emerging role of our community pharmacists as providers and, and being patient-centered and medication management, medication adherence uh, and additional services, point of care testing. I mean this is all rolling up into what community pharmacy is going to become even more healthcare destination focused than ever. So let's give our listeners an overview of this research. Yeah, Todd, and um, before I do that, I wanted to kind of applaud you for talking about the pharmacy as this healthcare destination. And that's really kind of what the root of this research is because the reality is Medications are accessible to people when they can be mailed to your home. And then there is no driving distance. And then, you know, you can get meds whenever you want and you can order them on demand and they can be at your house one to two days later. But it's really that healthcare destination and the services that you actually have to be present for and show up immunization, point of care testing, being assessed for um, treatments, the medication management piece that can't really be done by the mail. Maybe you could argue it could be done by telehealth services, but really the proximity that people live to community pharmacies is really important for those things that patients have to show up for. And if they can't get there because they live too far away or they have a lot of other barriers like not owning a car, having two jobs, can't get off work, 
um, then we're not really doing our due diligence to making healthcare accessible and equitable to everybody. So that's just the kind of the, the context I wanted to put this paper in to, to begin with. I also want to give a shout out to Dr. Um, Patel, um, Dr. Hernandez, um, Dr. Sean Dixon, um, and Shang Bin Tang for also participating in gathering this research and co-authoring this research. And what you said, Lucas, is important with regards to healthcare destination. If I get a 90-day supply milled to me of a medication, a, a hypertension medication, if I'm not checking in with my physician or pharmacist on some type of cyclical basis, um, most likely I may not take that medication anymore unless I have someone in my family that is staying on me or being um, supportive to the condition that I'm facing. And then that, of course, we all know spirals into other issues that the, that the non-adherent hypertensive um, uh, patient's going to go through. So let's get into the, the data of the research. Um, you obtained addresses for literal pharmacy locations, which was fascinating. This sounds like a lot of work, by the way, Lucas. Um, and you got this from the National Council of Prescription Drug Programs, and there was geocoding involved, and there was um, lots of pharmacy um, types that were identified. We had chains, our regional franchises. I like to call those the micro chains. And then my favorite of the of the group, the independent community pharmacies that um, really stand out in their community. Those are the ones that I feel, um, in my strong uh, bias opinion, that um, that they're interconnected with their community already. So they they know the mayor, they know the state representatives, they know the local lumber um, owner um, or the hardware store owner, and that intermingling as part of your community is such a high level of trust and the ability to say, hey, uh, we have other services available to our community. But let's let's back up and talk about the um, the data and and share with our listeners uh, some of the things that, that surprised you and the authors about um, about the data that you collected. Sure, yeah, this is kind of a new type of field of research that I entered um, I think probably it was in the summer of 2020, and I'm referring to the GIS piece, the geographical information systems, or the mapping. And so I want to give a special kind of thank you to Shengbing Tang, who's really our expert in mapping and in GIS, uh, because she made this happen. What we really set out to do here was to take a look at where community pharmacists, pharmacies are and how close they are to the general population. The inspiration for this research was a statistic that the National Association of Chain Drug Stores, or NACDS, uses really well with advocacy and policy that 90% of Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy. And I've always wanted to cite that statistic in the papers that I write, in the grant proposals um, that I submit. And it's always kind of hard to get the data behind that stat. Um, it's not that I didn't believe it but I wanted some really hard evidence to cite so that people would believe me whenever I said that in my written word. And so that's kind of how this paper um, got started. And so we, um, we got some data from um, NCPDP, and then we were able to get a synthetic um, population of 1% of Americans. 
um, which is representative of where Americans are living coast to coast. And so when we did that, we also layered in uh, a road network analysis, which is all the roads in America that could help us calculate uh, driving distance. So different from kind of what I call, you know, how the crow flies. So it's not point to point straight. This is actually getting on Route 65 and, you know, making a left um, on Beaver Ave. Um, and that's how we calculated the driving distances from the synthetic population to all of the roughly 62,000 community pharmacies that existed at that time point when we when we got that data from NCPDP. And so from there, um, we did some very complex analyses with some supercomputers that took weeks and weeks and weeks. A lot of people ask us, why did you only use a 1% sample? And the reality is, even the supercomputers, it took weeks to do that. Um, mapping people's closest pharmacy with only 1% of the 320 million people who live in the country. So to do that with a 10%, 30%, 50% total sample, it would take years. And then by then someone else would have already done this research. Um, so I think that's always fascinating too, to talk about how long it takes to do something like this. Um, but we were very excited with the, with the end product. And we hope that this paper can be used um, by the people and by the organizations who really advocate and who really support pharmacies and pharmacists in the work that we do. And so that's kind of my, my end goal with research like this, to change policy, to advocate for pharmacists, and to get a really great public perception of the really important work that pharmacists do as essential healthcare workers. Lucas, I'm going to make sure that I send this to my local representatives here in Western Pennsylvania. Um, I think of Representative Pam Snyder, Representative Daryl Metcalf up in um, Cranberry Township, Pennsylvania, but these people that serve their very specific communities will uh, appreciate this data and understand that some of the policy that they work on for healthcare access can really fall back to the data that you've um, helped to bring to the table and understand that, you know, you could be in um, I think of areas up in uh, northwestern uh, Pennsylvania, Portersville, for example. So you have to drive on uh, Route 68, and you can go into Zelenopol, or you can head up north and go to a whole other community. And both of those are anywhere from 7 to possibly 25 miles away to get to the next um, bucket of population where you have access to healthcare services. And then you and I were talking before we began recording, because I know that you've, you've talked about uh, mail service pharmacy and possibly some telehealth and telemedicine. Me personally, I could not access a telehealth provider from my home because guess what? I don't have internet connectivity that's stable enough to give me good, um, you know, internet stable internet connectivity to 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 hear my voice, to look at um, someone on the other end, to to give me a consult. So there are there are still where we've we've come a long way, but there are still barriers to accessing um, healthcare throughout the nation. And uh, I consider our area of where we're in within Fayette County, where you're in in Allegheny County, as pretty good. But boy, when you get into Nevada. When you get into parts of Texas, um, even parts of uh, the great state of Florida, um, you know, the plains of, of, um, 
of Illinois and um, and other states. I mean, there's there's issues, and 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 I think that our government officials are going to really appreciate understanding community pharmacies really serve that accessible place in their locations, um, being that real patient centered and. I had mentioned point of care testing before as, as an extension of what community pharmacy is, is becoming. Many of them are already doing it, but we just attended a conference uh, where um, a bunch of pharmacy owners came together. And that was one of the subjects was accessibility to their services and how public transportation is, um, is sometimes the only transportation, but you and I both know it doesn't extend 20, 30, 40 miles out um, from the bus depot that it came from. So what do you, when you look at this data and, and it stares you in the face, it's black and white, um, as a community pharmacy owner, if I'm listening into this, um, what, what can they do with this data to help educate um, policymakers per se in their communities about um, the barriers to healthcare? Yeah, I think whenever I look at this data and it's staring me in my face, I think it's really great affirmation that the work that pharmacists do is so important and it's so essential to communities. And it's not that anyone is ever going to take that away, but I think what we're looking for now is to expand what we can do. And pharmacists have always been looking for this. I don't think this is new at all. I think we have this really great opportunity now in the face of COVID where we have this rejuvenated opportunity. We have this national spotlight as leaders of providing COVID-19 immunizations and testing. Oh, and treatment, by the way, how that pharmacists can prescribe Paxlovid. And people are looking to us to get these types of things. They want to go to a community pharmacist where we're open on weekends and nights and holidays, and we're not turning people away when you're sick. You can come in. We, all, we always remained open. And so I think this is just another set of data and another piece of information that people can take to their local reps, like you will, and to Capitol Hill and say, hey, this is why we should get paid for our services, because we're doing this, and right now we're doing it for free. And this is why we need to have more resources and we need to have stronger payment models so that we can continue to offer these things for people who would not receive these services elsewhere because they don't have access, because we don't have a, a system and infrastructure to get them more reliable or more um, or easier access to healthcare and health professionals. And so I really hope that this research does two things. One, it inspires people like us, constituents of um, counties and states and of the country to say, hey, this is really why pharmacists are so important to local communities and to our population as a whole, both macro and micro. And two, hopefully it'll, it'll um, you know, inspire other researchers to take a look at this type of stuff and generate more and more evidence. I, I would love to hear people say those two things, like you said, hey, I'm going to use this data and I'm going to walk up to my um, my rep's office, or I'm going to go to the state capitol, or I'm going to go uh, to D.C. for Rx Impact Day, and I'm going to show them this study. And I'd love for people to say, hey, this reminds me of something else, or I think I can get some funding to do some more research to take a look at um, 
health disparities and underrepresented populations. And let's layer that on top of the map and show um, people why it's important that pharmacists are in these local communities. Lucas, I'm going to send this research to the NASPA, which is our National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations, who has um, the ears of all of the CEOs and executives who lead our pharmacy associations. Um, uh, right here in, in Pennsylvania, obviously the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association, but we'll make sure that they get not only a copy of this podcast, but also the research, because I think that it's critical that the, the associations who do a wonderful job advocating for all facets of pharmacy um, understand that this has been researched, and it's a reason that we like to take journal articles like this and then uh, get someone on to to uh, talk about it is because sometimes our pharmacy professionals and groups and associations don't even realize the, the research has been done. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you can share this podcast, this, um, this article and this journal research with a fellow um, professional or your own state representative, um, we want to make sure that they are aware of the conclusions where Community pharmacies um, do serve um, their patients in ways that other healthcare providers aren't able to just because of a vicinity and the coming of more services that are in demand, uh, especially around um, point of care immunizations and medication management, where remote patient monitoring, which is important and it will be coupled with uh, technology platforms and pharmacists that are leading um, those ongoing treatments, these are wonderful. However, it still comes down to that face-to-face, -face, being able to look at someone's complexion or the way that they're acting or um, the inability for them to ask on the phone or through something electronic that they need additional help um, where pharmacists and our pharmacy teams can identify that stuff and move forward and, and give preventative um, services to help us not have patients being rushed to the emergency room. And, and of course, we know that um, our, our um, payment of those services explode and, and then um, it just causes more problems. What else, Lucas, do you want to point out through the research that you did um, in this article um, for our listeners today? Well, I think the other thing that we really thought hard about was what data is going to be most impactful when people use this to advocate, when people use this to um, publicize what pharmacists do, when people use this to cite in their own papers or um, get grant funding to do more research. And we wanted to show, first and foremost, this driving distance statistic, um, but we also wanted to give some extra points of reference too. So if you go deeper into the paper, you'll see that we also provided percentages for um, the percentage of population that lives within one mile, two miles, and 10 miles, knowing that, or I'm sorry, um, let me re-say re that. We also wanted to give percentages for the population that lives within one mile, two miles, five miles, and 10 miles. So there's some extra data points for people based upon what 
type of um, county or state that they live in. For example, um, one mile might not be that big of a deal for someone living in a, uh, a rural population. They're used to getting in the car and driving anywhere. Um, but one mile might be a big deal in the city if you don't own a car and you have to take three buses to get there. Um, or you have to walk and um, maybe you're not in great health. Um, and again, the same could be true for the 10 miles. You know, 10 miles obviously is a problem um, for people who are living in a more urban area. Um, but 10 miles not, might not be that big of a deal for a rural population. Um, whenever they own a car and a pharmacy has a parking lot that they can park that car in, and it's easy for them to, to get access to. So I'm not quite um, sure which one of these mileages um, makes most sense. I think we need different data points um, for different populations of people based upon um, their social determinants of health and where they're living and what types of resources that they have, like car ownership, access to public transport, things like that. So if you scroll to the end of the paper and you take a look at figure two, you can find you know, that mileage and that percentage that makes the most sense for the, the people who you're advocating for or the populations that you study in your research. And so we really wanted to make sure that that was highlighted in this work too. We wanted to do um, the analysis once since it takes so long, weeks and weeks and weeks, and then spit out a couple different um, points for people to take a look at and to consider. And being able to, to encapsulate into this data over 3,000 counties is a really good snapshot of the total country. I think it really got us an, enough of the data to to mix in, like you said, the, the, the real condensed populations where even being a half mile away is an issue if you don't have public, if you don't have access to your own transportation, you have to rely on public transportation and how frustrating it is for people that have to take multiple buses to get somewhere or a subway or whatever. And then on the other end of that spectrum, way out in New Mexico, um, you're out in the in the middle of nowhere and you're 20 miles away from the nearest hospital and you have a community pharmacy that's possibly within a mile or two of, of your home. That therein lies your healthcare destination for just about everything that that comes in the world of 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 healthcare and healthcare needs of, of our people. Um, where where do you go with this data next? What what has the team thought of to say, hey, we did this research. This is terrific. Now, how do we help um, providers of services in their communities, health systems, for example, uh, getting a hold of this data to be more aware of um, the technical data. Yeah. I, when you were talking, I was reflecting on, you know, the images and the maps that we have in the paper. And I've looked at these images of America with all of the counties on them so frequently that whenever I see a state map with just state outlines, it looks so plain and blank to me. <laughs> and so we really wanted to show the county level, um, statistics too, because, um, as you can imagine, not every place, and each state looks the same. In Pennsylvania, we have three big cities and three different quarters of the state and not a whole lot in between. So it's unfair to say or give a population percentage for Pennsylvania as a whole whenever we have 
Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Erie, Harrisburg kind of driving uh, those statistics. Um, I think where we really want to go next is GIS is a really powerful tool to really visualize data. And I think we're in a world now that people don't want to just look at tables and numbers and statistical analyses and p-values. All those things are really important. But I think that visual figure and the type of visualization that maps give to people is really kind of hitting home and is really making a difference in our um, age of social media and digesting um, pictures more so over numbers and text. And so GIS, I think, blends to that because we can layer on multiple different things. So instead of just layering over a road network analysis where we're looking at driving distances, you know, we can also look at driving time. So what's the actual time it takes? Maybe time is actually more important than, than distance. You probably can argue that's already true because time is money. And, you know, if you have the two jobs, you get to pick up the kids um, from daycare. Uh, the time is what's limiting you, not necessarily the distance. And then I think those social determinants of health are really um, something that's important. And that's what we have to look at when we're looking at healthcare disparities and what types of resources do people have? And when they don't have the same resources as others, how can we um, encourage a more equitable distribution of resources? And how can we make sure that people with less, you know, um, can get more? And that's access to healthcare, which I think is really important. I should note that um, a lot of this work too was inspired by some early mapping we did in 2020 um, in December, right before uh, we had some EUAs for COVID vaccines. We mapped people's access to what, where we thought a COVID vaccine might be. And so that included community pharmacies and family physician offices and places like that. And what that um, led to, or what we hoped the discussion would bring, is how can we get COVID vaccines in places where people had less access to them? And so that meant pop-up clinics um, in both high density populations where there weren't enough locations. And that also meant in rural destinations that didn't necessarily have a high density of population, but the places where people could receive the vaccines were so few and so sparse. And so I think this data here, when we look just at community pharmacies is really important because this could be important for um, independent owners to know where they could open up a new pharmacy where we have some patients who um, are underserved and don't have great access. Um, I think it adds to the data that's available on pharmacy deserts, and there's some great research um, going on there by Dima Cato. And I think a, a lot of her work has really um, kind of inspired this work too, and we have her referenced in, in our paper. And so I think all of this stuff interplays, and um, that's kind of where I'd like to see it go. There's so many things that we can layer on top, so many things that we can add as a variable, as an interaction, and I hope more people do this type of research. Well, Lucas, it's been wonderful talking with you and summarizing this research. For the listener that wants access to this, we will have a link to the paper. Um, it um, was published on the, the japha.org site. We will have access to that in the show notes, please take time to read through it, understand and reflect your own community. And then, like I had suggested, share this with your local um, policymakers and politicians. They would 
once again, they don't know what they don't know and they don't have access to. So you as a community pharmacist, you as a health system pharmacist, or any pharmacy in any community, if you're listening to this podcast, share this podcast in this data with someone who can be aware and use um, the funding that they have within their communities to apply some of that funding to um, places within their communities, especially our rural areas that may not have access to healthcare services. And if they want to partner with the local community pharmacy, I am nine out of 10 times, you're probably gonna get a yes and uh, in moving forward with what can be pulled through those community pharmacies. Lucas, in closing, any any shout outs you wanna give and, and, um, and accolades that you'd like to give um, through uh, through the pharmacy podcast. Yeah, I think I want to acknowledge, you know, the research team that that made this happen. Um, my collaborator, um, Dr. Immaculada Hernandez, and then also our GIS expert, that's Shang Bin Tang. Um, we also had a great team of uh, data analysts, that's Nico Gabriel, and then lots of other folks who helped with. Um, securing funding and for taking a look look at the maps, and you'll find those authors listed on the paper. Um, that's Dr. Guo, um, Dr. Patel, uh, Sean Dixon, um, and uh, Nasser um, from Utah. And a shout out to the University of Pittsburgh uh, School of Pharmacy. Um, I can't help it. I'm a Pittsburgh fan. I like all things. Pittsburgh uh, healthcare providers and leaders and um, you being part of their team as well. I, I very much appreciate what they do and how they stand out nationally. Well, we appreciate that. And thanks for the invitation. I really enjoyed my time today. Absolutely. We would like to have you back. Sounds great. Sounds great.